You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein & Associates. Hi, I'm very happy to start the new year with a... Uh, entrepreneur by the name of Ben Wiener. He is an entrepreneur enthusiast who co-founded his first startup in 1999. Between stints as a business development executive with a number of private equity ventures and startup companies, he was vice president of international business development at IDT Corporation, where he managed acquisition projects and established and managed a number of new corporate subsidiaries and startup ventures. He recently started a new fund called Jumpspeed Ventures, which is known as a micro-fund, which we'll speak about later. He started his professional career as a corporate lawyer in New York and in Israel, and as a clerk on Israel's Supreme Court Justice Yitzhak Zamir. Uh, ben grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It's actually one of my favorite Billy Joel songs, and, and, and lives in Jerusalem with his wife and seven children. So welcome, Ben. Thank you very much, Phil. Uh, so let me get right to it. So Ben, as a person who started, I started my firm back in the late 70s, it would seem that Tel Aviv or Herzliya would be the place to start a business these days. Why have you chosen Jerusalem to start uh, Jump Speed Ventures? Um, I think it's definitely uh, part contrarian and part, um, you know, business opportunist. So, you know, I, I live in, and have worked in Jerusalem um, acutely aware of the acute uh, opportunities here in the city, and um, I believe that uh, the best opportunities are where you know others may not be looking. Uh, mm-hmm. Tel Aviv, the, the center of the of the country, is extremely crowded with startup activity. Uh, it's been well documented. Uh, as an entrepreneur starting startups here in Jerusalem, uh, my first startup, as you mentioned, was uh, 15 years ago here in Jerusalem. So I've watched the trends here. In, in the city uh, as sort of 15, 14 years ago, there were a lot of venture capitalists around. There was a lot of uh, investment activity here in Jerusalem. There was a definite dip uh, in the 2000s where VCs left town, startups disappeared. It was a real vacuum. And uh, as we know, nature abhors a vacuum. And um, as opposed to Tel Aviv, which is extremely crowded, I liked to, you know, I wanted to evaluate the opportunity of picking within that vacuum, within that white space, where I felt I'd have less competition, more opportunity um, to to succeed, and that's what uh, one of the one of the motivating factors that drove me to start evaluating the the tech scene here in Jerusalem. And what I found, which we can elaborate on, uh, was way beyond my wildest dreams, beyond my expectations in terms of quantity and quality of opportunities. And I think I've still, I can still say that there aren't that many other players uh, next to me that are picking among those opportunities. So there may be fewer opportunities than Tel Aviv, but much, much less competition for that. That's so, I find that so interesting because having been here, you, 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 uh, Started back in '99, and, and at that time, actually, Jerusalem in the you know the dot com era, the the '98, the '99, 2000, uh, Jerusalem was quite a hotbed, particularly in Malcha. Uh, and then after that bubble burst, uh, 
you know, there were some big players, but but the the startups, what I found from my perspective, disappeared and 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 migrated, uh, you know, down the mountain to Tel Aviv and Herzliya and Ramat Chayal. So that, that's very encouraging. Um, what has attracted you to to early stage investments? I think uh, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a venture enthusiast. I think I think I just have some sort of psychological addiction to early stage rather than later stage. I'm not a big company uh, guy, although I have worked in large companies. And I found even when I worked in a large company, I gravitated or was pulled to uh, the more entrepreneurial activities within that large company. So I definitely am an entrepreneurial person. I, I come from a long line of small business owners on both sides of my family. So that's what I grew up with. I grew up with people, father, grandfathers, who had built their own businesses and uh, were serving local customers. So I think that's in my blood, and I think I understand you know, a lot about the earliest stages of a company's development, whether it's in technology or, or not. Uh, in Israel, most of the early stage activities in technology companies, and that's where I got my feet wet on the entrepreneurial side. And I think that's where I add the most value for founders or entrepreneurs. That's why people reach out to me, and that's where I think um, I can contribute the most. In that you know, company where it's starting with one or two people to the stage where there are maybe 15, 20, 30 people uh, and penetrating a market. That, that stage in a company's development is where I think I thrive and where I can add the most. Um, so that's, one of the, again, one of the reasons why I focused on that area, because I felt that I could have the most value in that area of activity. Okay. What, what, what's the difference? Is, is there a difference between a Jerusalem startup and a Tel Aviv startup? I know there's a difference, uh, you know, how, how Jerusalemites or Yerushalmim dress, I find, from Tel Aviv, or, or, or I think there's still a more uh, relaxed style uh, that I find. But, but do you see anything in terms of, uh, you know, the attributes that one would see when it comes to a startup? I haven't, uh, I, I can't say that I have. Um, I think that um, I'm seeing the same kind of diversity, or maybe even more of a diversity here in Jerusalem than in Tel Aviv. Uh, in Tel Aviv, things are kind of similar in terms of, you know, religious background, um, cultural attitudes. You know, the, the Tel Aviv scene is a much more secular um, scene. And here I'm seeing... You know, secular founders, religious founders, teams of mixed, you know, secular, religious, um, all, all types of backgrounds, Anglos, you know, born and bred Israelis. I think uh, the Tel Aviv scene is much more, you know, Sabra, you know, uh, secular kind of, well, I, I, I would hate to say cookie cutter, but um, definitely more uh, homogeneous or whatever the right pronunciation of that word is. Um, here you're definitely seeing a, a diversity of backgrounds. And um, I think, again, since most of our markets in our companies are, are very far away, whether you're in Tel Aviv or in Jerusalem, we're mostly developing technologies for the United States market or the, the overseas market, uh, not for local consumption. I think it helps to be diverse because if you're thinking about things in your box, in your Tel Aviv box, it might actually be harder to design a product for people very, very far away. But if your team members come from far away or come with a diverse set of personality traits or backgrounds, maybe arguably it's actually better uh, when you're designing a product or when you're contemplating penetrating a market. Again, that's a totally biased 
self-serving uh, attitude, but I, I think it might actually have a, an element of truth to it. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Um, how do you find companies? How, how do they find you? Uh, I find companies and companies find me. So I do a fair amount of uh, proactive networking. Um, I've gotten very entrenched in this you know, re-emerging Jerusalem tech ecosystem, which I'm very, very passionate about uh, and I love talking about. So there are probably 10 or 15 of us individuals who are most active in building or rebuilding the young Jerusalem tech ecosystem. And between the 10 or 15 of us, we pretty much have access, I think, to anything new that's coming you know, through the pipeline. So by knowing those people and by getting to know them, which I've spent you know, a fair amount of effort and energy doing at the outset, uh, they can deliver to me, if I don't already know about it, um, a lot of the new projects that are being spawned in Jerusalem. Um, I do a fair amount of, you know, outside of that circle, I do some other networking. Uh, I put up a website right away, which uh, and I'm active on Facebook and Twitter, so those things have drawn in some activity. So it's, it's a combination of referral from sources that do know me and proactive marketing. I'm appearing on investor panels now for the first time. I've been invited to speak in different places. And I'm you know, happy to take those opportunities to you know, A, evangelize and spread the word about the tech ecosystem here in Jerusalem that goes way beyond me and Jump Speed, but also use those opportunities to interact with people who you know, may have projects that are relevant. What advice could you give to a young or old person with what I'd call a quote-unquote cool idea? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could talk about that for a very, very long time. <laughs> okay. It, it, it's much more than just a cool idea. There are a lot of cool ideas out there. And um, you know, the, the, there are famous stories of people who invented the fax machine you know, 60 years before faxes became popular. A cool idea is not enough. Uh, da Vinci made famous drawings of helicopters, you know, hundreds of years before they were viable. Um, you, you can have a really cool idea, but it may not be viable. Uh, the trick is what I view as one of my main rants or, or mantras, which is minimum desirable product. The product doesn't have to be only cool. It has to be minimally desirable right now to many, many people, or at least to many people in the target market. So you have to understand your market first, or even more than you understand your product. You know, the, the old um, methodology of startup development, both anywhere in the world, but especially in Israel, and, and it's changing, thankfully, but 20 years ago, the classic Israeli founder would build this great technology and hold it out like an altar and expect, every, expect everyone to come and bow down to the altar that they had built. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way markets work. Um, you have to build a product for a market uh, that either exists right now or is going to exist very soon and make sure that that product achieves what we call product market fit, that there's a very close tie between the coolness of the product and the needs or the interests of the people in the market. And that's a tricky, that's a much trickier, it's easy to talk about, but that's much trickier to do. And that's, in my opinion, that's where most startups fail. Not because the idea wasn't cool, but because it wasn't designed properly for the market or the market just you know, didn't want it or didn't okay. want it yet. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, those so those young entrepreneurs, uh, f- first I'd say they they need to see you, right? Um, 
but they, they they've got to make sure they've got that, that there's a market out there to to match what they're trying to to uh, create. Correct, and that's why VCs or, or investors or even me will often favor someone who comes from the market and has deep experience in the market that they're developing their product for, because to us that gives you know a lot more comfort or credibility to their arguments that the market's going to want the cool thing that they're building. You have a lot of people that have great ideas in the shower or or are in school and think, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was an app for XYZ? But because they don't come from the market, they don't necessarily understand whether or not the market will actually want that cool idea that they're that they're cooking up. Okay. How does crowdfunding fit into your companies the companies you are, you know, helping or, or focused on uh, with their own fundraising strategies? Um, that's a good question. It doesn't. It doesn't have a direct relationship. I mean, uh, we. I have a mandate to invest between fifteen hundred and fifty thousand dollars into an early stage company. Uh, clearly, that money, or I shouldn't say clearly, but ninety nine percent of the time, it's safe to assume that that money will not be enough to carry the company forever or to where they need to go. So the company will have to be thinking about other strategies of raising money, either in parallel or later. Um, and companies, crowdfunding companies, for example, our crowd, where you know I have a very close relationship, um, are good potential alternatives uh, for additional funding. Um, I'm currently investing alongside our crowd in a in a transaction. Um, our crowd has been good about you know, sending me opportunities that may not meet their criteria yet, but you know may be relevant for me, and then. You know, once the companies get a little larger, we can bring them back to our crowd for follow-on funding. So I think crowdsourcing is here to stay, at least, you know, for the near future and for the foreseeable future. And it's something that companies should think about um, as additional or alternative funding strategies. You have to know which crowdfunding platform is right for your company or your product. So companies like Kickstarter or Indiegogo probably better for you know, physical products or things that have a clear story. Outcrowd is a great uh, classic VC-type uh, crowdfunding platform. So uh, it requires, you know, studying the landscape and understanding which crowdfunding platform is right, but many of them are really attractive platforms for additional funding. Understood. Um I know you, you, you've, you've already expressed your enthusiasm for the... Uh, what I'll call the rebirth or, or renaissance of, of startups in, in Jerusalem. Uh, how do you view the current prospects for early startups in Israel? Is it? I know there was a period, uh, certainly in the in the post '08 downturn, uh, that no one wanted to really talk to, to startups that were early stage. What, what's the current you know prospect for someone who's more than just that idea, maybe already starting to work with the colleagues? I think. I think it's a, it's a I, listen. I, I believe in startups all the time. I think that there's no period of time where you know there's no opportunity for a startup. I think you know the market will sometimes be biased more favorably in favor or against. Uh, you don't want to have you know irrational exuberance to borrow a phrase where there's too much activity in startups. We also can't. There's no such thing as a time where there's no no room for startups. I think the big companies will always move slowly. The small companies can always pivot you know, quicker and innovate better. There's always an opportunity for startups. Right now is a great opportunity for startups because 
it's cheaper than ever to to create a startup company and launch a product. Products or, or systems that, that would cost for the cost twenty thousand dollars today to launch would have cost two million dollars to launch, you know, five, six, eight years ago. Um, the partner and I just launched a company. It cost us probably in, you know, just a few single digit thousand dollars to build a viable beta product of the whole thing. So if you have a good idea, you can iterate and get it up and running and test it out in the market very easily and very quickly if you know what you're doing. So it's a great time to be launching startups. But again, I would caution founders, despite the ease of launching things, uh, there's a long road ahead in marketing the product and making sure that the product gets into the market. So it's, uh, it's a great time to start a startup, but it's uh, important to go back to that you know, market analysis and studying the market before you even spend the, the relatively small amount that, that it now requires to, uh, to start a company. So, so let me, before I get to what I was planning as my last question for our podcast today, just dig a little deeper into those comments and, and, and maybe make it a bit personal. Um, for that entrepreneur who, let's say, uh, turns to you, turns to Jump Speed Ventures, uh, what, what type of help can you offer them? In terms of as you said, the long road. Well, we—that's uh, that's a great question, and that's really part of the raison d'etre of, of why I started Jump Speed. Um, I don't call myself a venture capitalist. I call myself an entrepreneur with a checkbook. So, I have my own startup company that I'm still managing uh, that I created, just like any other startup founder. Uh, and I, there were two other companies that I was working with over the past year, sort of as an advisor. Um, so I had this little portfolio of three companies that I was uh, deeply engaged in and found that they were all going through the same process as they approached the market and as they got ready to try to penetrate their target markets. And, and as, I, as I was working on those companies, I also found that the investors, the traditional investors in the early stage, had by and large moved upstream and you know, were all saying to us, it sounds really, really interesting, show us some traction. And then we'll get involved and we'll, we'll evaluate the investment. It was this magic word of traction that was the gap between us and our developed betas or our developed products and the, the investors that we were trying to attract. So rather than fight that, I said, well, maybe there's an opportunity there since no one's there, or very, I shouldn't say no one, but since very few investors were willing to dive in, maybe there was an opportunity there to handpick companies like mine that had great products and great opportunities which is we're not at traction yet. So I developed a methodology, which is a hybrid microfund and accelerator. And that's what I talk about on my website. And um, that's a fusion of two different concepts. So as a microfund, I can invest that money that helps the company get across the, the gap. And as an accelerator, I run the founders through a many, many months long program where they will come into my office here in Talpio in Jerusalem. Uh, as a group, we will work together once or twice a week as groups uh, as a group of founders, and I will also be bringing in uh, my corporate partners and mentors that I've spent months recruiting and continue to recruit. Uh, companies like Amazon Web Services and Silicon Valley Bank, KPMG, Deloitte, and many many others, plus individuals who are thought leaders from the technology scene, both here in Israel and even overseas. Those individuals and companies will offer their advice and services in a formalized basis 
to my company founders over the next year as those companies try to penetrate the market. So I, I've really formalized the hands-on support that I plan to give to the companies. And I've said to the companies, the support that I'm going to give you is way beyond what I, you know, Ben Wiener, can offer you. There's only so much wisdom that I have, you know, between my ears. But there are a lot of people that I know that are smarter and, and more talented than me, and I can bring them in to uh, to meet with you constantly to get you, you know, better, stronger, faster. So I'm very, very passionate about the uh, the value add that I can provide because it's not me that's providing it only. It's it's a whole long list of companies and people that I'll be exposing my founders to to make them, you know, more efficient and more successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So now that that was a great answer, and I'll, I'll uh, we'll wrap up with the following: What changes in the local market have you seen since the the market setbacks in two oh eight? I know that's a broad question, but specifically in in the area of you know the entrepreneurial and, and the ability to people to launch companies. Well, uh, there are a couple. Of, I mean, there are a couple of answers to that in the, in the global in the global market, and people were calling for this right away. As soon as the market crashed, there were many articles that were written that said, this is a really, really bad time right now, but it's going to be a great time for innovation because so many people have been forced out of work, and so many people have been forced to think out of the box. And as we know, when you think out of the box, great things happen. So many people, including myself, were were really set back by the market crash in 2008. A lot of our plans were scuttled. And we had to reset and think about new things. And when you think about new things, really innovative things uh, result. So, you know, every every cloud has a silver lining. And I think the, the crash in 2008, as painful as it was, was a fantastic time and, and a catalyst for a lot of the great innovations that we've seen in the last couple of years since then. In Jerusalem specifically, the landscape is totally new. Um, the, the, the tech ecosystem here has its granddaddies, like you know the NDSs that, w- that was bought for $4 billion and the Mobileyes and some of the older companies that have succeeded. But there's a real gap. There, there are very few companies of any vintage you know, in the 2000s that we can point to. So a lot of the stuff that we're seeing is very, very new, uh, run by young people. So I'm 43. The people that I'm talking to every day are all in their 20s. I'm by far, you know, the oldest I think person in the room usually when we when we get together, and uh, and that's great. I mean, to have a cross section of religious, non-religious, Anglo, Israeli um, people all involved in rebuilding this tech ecosystem has created something that's very vibrant and very collaborative. So we're all sharing notes. We're all sharing opportunities. There's no sense of who's competing with whom. Uh, what's in it for me? All those concepts are left, you know, at the door when we get together, and uh, it's just really invigorating and and translates into a real benefit for the the community of startup founders here in Jerusalem. They're they're benefiting from all these events and meetups and the work that we're doing behind the scenes to create an ecosystem that's vibrant and diverse and supportive of the startup community and activity here in Jerusalem. All right. Well, you've certainly uh, given a big boost for uh, Jerusalem and 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 the high tech entrepreneurial community. Can you just uh, tell us, uh, our listeners, how, how someone would want to get in touch with you to hear more about what you do and and meet you? Absolutely. So uh, the name of my fund is Jump Speed Ventures. Jump Speed, 
there's an image of a ski jumper on the, on the website, and that's sort of sending the message that we're working with companies that have some momentum that are already heading downhill, but we're going to launch them you know, farther, stronger, faster than they would have launched on their own. So it's jumpspeed.co, not C-O-I-L, but just jumpspeed.co. We're a, we're a .co company. Um, and on the website, there are uh, all sorts of ways to get in touch with me. My email is ben at jumpspeed.co. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Uh, it's pretty easy to find me. And I'd be happy to connect with anybody who's interested. Uh, our fund still has room in the fund if there are you know, investors that are interested. Uh, we're, we're a great way to tap into the new vibe and, and the unique opportunities that we're seeing. Um, and if there are you know, people with companies or high-tech activity, we're, we're definitely happy to collaborate and introduce them to some of our exciting companies. Well, I, I thank you for this very, very informative uh, talk today, and I wish you great success in, uh, you know, reinvigorating the Jerusalem high-tech scene. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for your interest. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peacestein.com or look for Philip Stein Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye.